Welcome to the Forge America Missional Podcast, where we discuss faith, mission, the church, and the intersection of all three. Today on the podcast, we have the honor to sit down with author Alice Matagora. Alice has worked with the Navigators and disciple-making ministry for nearly 20 years, with experience in college ministry and cultural competency training. She is currently leading a leader development initiative in the Navigators that develops leaders all over the world. She is also a licensed marriage and family therapist. You can check out more information about her at alicematagora.com. Thanks for listening, and we're glad you're joining us. Hi, my name is Alice Matagora, author of How to Save the World, Disciple-Making Made Simple. How do we return disciple-making back to the center of the Christian walk? This is what I hope that our, this book will address and, and help the everyday person who's interested, even a little bit interested in making, disciple, in making disciples to equip them to do, to help them find the motivation to get back into discipling or to start discipling. Now I have failed and I have succeeded a lot over the course of the past 20 years in my ministry of disciple making, but God is gracious enough to cover it all. In this book, we're going to be interacting a lot with the stories of other everyday people, aka non-ministry people, who are actively disciple making in their everyday lives and their worlds. But we're also going to be interacting more with the Barna study to identify what are the most common barriers and challenges that everyday disciple makers are encountering in their disciple making and how do we overcome these challenges and barriers and even give everyday practical really concrete tools to help the everyday person be able to make disciples right where they are all right welcome to the forge america mitchell podcast this is alan in knoxville tennessee and with me today as always is brenna varner in albany oregon brenna it is so good to see you. And so tell yeah. us tell us a little bit about the job thing right now. Yeah, I'm in a, a job transition. I'm getting to wrap up a decade in medical education. Um, I've wrapped that up and I am moving over to publishing. Uh, do I know anything about publishing? No, <laughs> uh, but I'll learn. Uh, but I get to um, be a part of the leadership of 100 Movements Publishing and um, starting will be next week as we're recording right now. I'm really looking forward to it. Really looking forward to being able to work with authors like our guest today. Cool. All right. That's well, awesome. don't don't get too far ahead of me because I still got to introduce Terry in Austin, <laughs> Texas. Terry, uh, I know you got to celebrate your birthday last week, man. How yep. was that? No, it was good. It was good. I was with the uh, the Forge tribe, and so we we uh, my birthday. It's cool, you know, being on the national team. I get to schedule our national gathering the week of my birthday uh, and leave out my family. So that was awesome. But yep. uh, it was good. So thirty of us gathered in Dallas just to celebrate your birthday. That was it. That was what That's right. Basically, it was a big yeah. deal. Yeah, yeah, that was really good. But what I'm really excited about is today with us is Alice Matagora uh, in Southern California. Welcome, Alice. It's so good to have you. It's so good to be here with y'all. All right. Well, we're going to dive into why we have Alice here in just a little bit. Uh, but first, I'd love to hear a little bit about you, Alice. So tell us a little bit about you, your story. Yeah, for sure. Well, I am in Orange County, California with my husband of 14 years, RJ, and my two kids, Reggie, who's 
RJ Jr. Uh, RJJR, if you will. He's two and a half. Oh no, oh my gosh, he's gonna be three. He's gonna be three <laughs> the day the day that my book is released. So um, oh, nice. uh, yes, awesome. And then Clementine, who is seven and a half months old. Nice. That's awesome. I love yeah, it. and then Perfect. my Daisy dog, who you might hear from time to time. Beautiful. What kind of dog is Daisy dog? A mutt. A mutt. Her mom was a lady of the streets, so she is. <laughs> <laughs> just so awesome we have no idea yeah. but she's cute she doesn't shed yeah. it's awesome yeah that's perfect yes all right that's as far as we're going to take that conversation right there <laughs> but hey i'm going to start this conversation with a really serious note because uh this is my first time actually getting to meet you alice so i did all kinds of like internet research on you which sounds stalkerish but oh great uh-huh. I, I had to say who, who, who is this we're interviewing and one of the things i really loved uh was this i'm going to start with a really hard question um, the Rings of Power, is it going to be good or is it not going to be good? Knowing it's that you're a Lord awesome. of the Rings fan. Yeah, oh. you think? Yeah, it's going to be amazing. Uh, yes, it's going to be so, so good. Anything Lord <laughs> of the Rings, anything Tolkien world, so good. Yes. yes. Okay. I love, so, you did your research. Yeah. You surprised me I with did. that. <laughs> yeah, so, so The Hobbit, you're still up there with The Hobbit movies? You're still good with those? You know, as long as you manage expectations, if you manage expectations, it's a children's book and Peter Jackson was thrown with it later. So, you know, yeah, you sound like my wife. Like she always like she's like, the Hobbit was such a bad. It's like it should have been one movie. I loved all three of them. It was so good. It was good. I'm, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't read. And so, so I just wait. I wait for the movie. So. Alice, I can't wait for your book to be made into a movie so I can actually uh, watch it. So, but, but no, I love The Hobbit. So a boring it's, movie. Yeah. No, it was good. Uh, awesome. Yeah, well, I, I, yeah, Terry was kind of giving us the rundown because the book doesn't come out for here for a little bit from the time we're recording this. And he was giving us a little bit of the rundown. I do know that you referenced Marvel in the book, correct? Oh, I sure do, yeah. Okay, see, Lord of the Rings and Marvel, you're right up there with the nerd stuff. My girls would love you. Yes, so. You know, it might be the only disciple-making book out there that has a Marvel reference in it. That's going to be my guess. I haven't read them all, but... Yeah, well, it was, it was, as I was going through the book, the one thing I was waiting for is the trifecta. Because we know Lord of the Rings and we know Marvel... Yes. If you would have put a Goonies reference into this thing, that would have taken it to the next level. Like that would have been like that's the, that's that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint. No, no, no. It's that's all right. The next book. That's right. That's next right. Next book. Yeah. Well, in spite of your lack of Goonies references, uh, the yeah. book is great. It's fantastic. Thank so the, you. the name of the book is How to Save the World. Which did just a you know a humble title on on uh, you know for anyone out there trying to be a difference maker, but how to save the world? Uh, disciple making made simple, and mm-hmm. you know it's funny. Anytime anyone writes about disciple making, it is the one topic that I probably get the most like soapboxy when it comes to like mm-hmm. looking at a book, and because there's there's there is so much written about disciple making, and so much of it. Um, I just say it leaves me wanting. I'll just put it that way. I'll be nice. Yeah. Uh, but I thought your book was really, really good. And I, again, I love the idea of how you tie the idea to disciple making to saving the world. Mm-hmm. And and and, it, and it's not even as you go into the book, it's not about like conversions or getting people converted. It, it's really like, how do we make this world a better place? And so I love yeah. that angle. And then I just really appreciate the the, the work towards how do how do we make disciple making simple the the simplicity yeah. of it you know it's this idea that it's it's um it's simple but it's not sim- uh simplistic right and so yes, yeah. and so the idea of really having like a robust 
uh, process and thinking and, and, and way of doing disciple making that mm-hmm. isn't just like I like one of the, the, the little I don't know what you call those a subtitle maybe I'm, mm-hmm. my wife is like the writer in our family I don't I don't know I don't that. even yeah, know yeah, so yeah. It's, it's, it's bolded but I love it yes. it's, it, and it just simply says it's disciple making is more than getting coffee right yep. and I said mm-hmm. I think sometimes we want to make it so so simple that it's like oh just go have coffee and that's disciple making it's like well no there's yeah. there is a little more and you talk about the importance of being intentional and things like that so Great book. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, Thank and this you. is your first book, correct? This is my first book, yes. That's awesome. Yeah. So we look yeah. forward to having you uh, in the future because I'm sure after this one, uh, I'm sure you have several more that you'll be able to put out into the world. But congratulations on this one. It's fantastic. Uh, and then Thanks. really, I'd, lo- I'd love just to hear kind of what was the conviction that led you to write mm-hmm. this book? Like, what was it inside you that's like, I got to get this out into the world? Oh, man. Okay, so it kind of had unorthodox beginnings. I was approached to write this book by my publisher. And um, I, you know, I've always wanted to write a book. But for some reason, it it just, I don't know, I think I just always thought like, well, if I put writing out there, somebody will approach me, you know, I didn't know that you could approach publishers with books. I don't know why it makes a lot of sense. Um, So my publisher, he he approached me with this book. And um, and my first thought, honestly, oh, I hope this doesn't trigger anyone. Should I say it? I don't know. Uh, is, is I, I'm okay. I'll just, I'm not, I don't know that I'm the right person to write this mm. book. I don't feel like I'm the expert on disciple making. I don't know that I know everything out there. I, um, I'm not an older white guy who's like writing yes. disciple making books. Honestly, yes. I hope that's not triggering no, at all. Not. It but, needs to be said. I'm yes. like, yeah, I'm like an Asian American woman with tattoos who loves nerding out on stuff. What am I, what can I add to the disciple making literature? But the thing is, is that I love disciple making. I have given my life to the calling. I have forsaken my immigrant parents' wishes for me to just get a real job. And I asked people for money to do so because, because I really believe in disciple making being discipled. It changed my life. It completely transformed my life. I came into college just a broken, depressed, hot mess of a person with making all kinds of wrong choices and with a lot of depression, anxiety, eating disorders. And knowing Jesus, somebody helping me know Jesus transformed my life and freed me from a lot of those things. It started this journey into freedom and healing. And so I was like, what did you, you know, after being disciple, did you know, like you can have a real relationship with Jesus? Did you know it's possible? Did you know? And, and like, did you know that people like me fresh out of, um, all my eating disorders and stuff, you know, fresh out of my depressions that people like me, I can actually make disciples. Mm. Like that, that's the wildest thing. I can help somebody else know Jesus just by simply passing on what little I know. And so I really, really believe if that girl could do it, that girl in college, if she could do it, anybody could do it. I really believe it. Yeah. And it's great. You know, it's it's funny as I was looking through, you know, we were looking for potential guests for season five and, uh, you know, we're going to have Angie Ward on this season and we're Mm going to have some, some people that have been past guests that are, you know, people who are just in this conversation with us that we have. And, but I'm always looking for like new voices and new names. And I'll be honest, being an, an Asian American woman, that was one of the things that was like, I would, I want to hear this story because I think, I think, you know, again, there are, you know, 
Dallas Whitler, old white guy, love him to death. And I'm actually yeah. reading one of his yeah. books and it's phenomenal. But we have, I think it's super, super important that we do have a, a, a variety of voices uh, that, yeah. that we, we go to. And so I'm excited mm-hmm. that you are now in the pantheon of like, here are voices when it comes to disciple making. And yes, we need, so we need female voices and we need Asian American voices. And and so, so yeah. thank you for, for, you know, being willing to step in and say, yeah, I'm not an old white guy, but I've got something to say <laughs> and we want to hear it. So that's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. And I please don't hear me knocking the old no, black guys. There's guys. so much good yeah. stuff out there. Absolutely. So much good Absolutely. stuff out there right there. But yep. plenty of space mm-hmm. for new voices. And so we're excited that yeah. you are part. All right. So as you, you dove into this book and this project, uh, I would love to hear just kind of, you know, I'm sure it's fresh on your mind. What like what do you see as the state of disciple making in the West and, and particularly here here in the States? Like what what yeah. is are you hopeful? Are you a little pessimistic, frustrated. I mean, what do you what do you see the state of all this? <laughs> um, I'm a, if you're familiar with Strength Finders, I have restorative as number two, nice. so I see like the brokenness and yeah. things, right? But I'm positive. I have positivity as number three, oh, wow. so it's what like. A combo brokenness but positivity so uh, that's kind of how I view disciple making right now uh in the state of the American church so my book it's based off of original research with the Barna group Barna collaborated with the navigators and surveying Christians in the American church about their views on disciple making and so the research illuminated that only 30% of American Christians have or are making disciples Now, when we look at Matthew 28, it says, you know, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. And and that is a calling for all followers of Jesus, all people who call themselves students of Jesus. And so 30 percent, that's kind of sobering that only 30 percent are actually doing it or have done it. And only 20 percent have been discipled. Mm. That's that's really pretty sobering to me. But the hopeful news that was really illuminated in the research is that the reasons why people aren't discipling, it really seems like one, there's just a lack of familiarity with terms like they don't know what disciple making is. It sounds really ubery, spiritual and super, um, I don't know. Help me think of a word like super just out there, not yeah. concrete. What is, how do you disciple make? Ethereal. I don't even know. Ethereal. Yes, that's exactly. Yes. Yeah. An E word. That's what I was looking for. Um, and so I think that's really helpful for me. And what's also really hopeful is that a lot of people said that it sounded like something they would do, but they just lack the confidence in doing so, or they are not sure that they have the time to do so. I feel like those are all very conquerable challenges and barriers to actually starting to make disciples. So that's where I feel really hopeful for what could be. And that's where I really hope that my book enters in to equip the everyday person to help them see it's not so ethereal. Thank you for the word. Um, it's not so elusive. It, it, it's really doable. It's really simple and anybody can do it. Yeah, I would resonate with what you're saying that you found in the research. You know, there's been years in in church for me where, you know, oh, we got to make disciples and, and you know, a pastor would come to me and say, hey, I'd want you to disciple this woman and it's great. But what does that mean? <laughs> what uh-huh. are you asking? What are you actually asking of me? You know, 
and yeah, just go for coffee was something. But there was this tension that, you know, what are we supposed to be doing with this time? Um, am I supposed to be giving you advice? Am I just supposed to be listening? Are we supposed to be opening the, the word? And not, I think not having a understanding of what discipleship is, you can say go disciple, but we don't, we don't yeah. know. What what, yeah. What are you asking? What are you asking of me? Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. One of, one of yeah. the things, you know, our, our podcast, a lot of our listeners, we, we lean really heavy on practitionership and prag, pragmat, pragmatism. Mm-hmm. Gosh, my words. Um, you, you can tell this is the first podcast we've recorded in a while. Sorry. Um, but which I stammer my words all the time. So that doesn't even matter. But you know, a lot of people that we kind of are in this conversation with, they, they really are like, okay, how do we do this? And I think you hit a really important, Mm -hmm. uh, a really important topic is like language is insanely important when it comes to disciple making and even contextualized language. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think that Mm -hmm. churches and leaders and especially disciple makers, they kind of miss a little bit is they try to take kind of these broad sweeping words like, oh, go disciple Mm -hmm. so-and-so. And And it's like, well, what do you mean by that? Mm -hmm. So can, I mean, you're a writer. I'm sure you can have an affinity for language. What, I mean, Mm -hmm. what would you say when it comes to like creating language around disciple making, you know, having terms and, you know, minus creating a glossary uh, for people, but like speak to the idea of how important language is in disciple making. Yeah, I mean, language, you know, when I when I explain disciple making, I all I when I want to break it down and make it simple, it's just helping somebody yeah. know Jesus and helping them have a relationship with him and then helping them eventually be able to help somebody else do the same. So what does it mean to just know Jesus? To help them learn how to get in the word on their own, you know, help them with all the different spiritual formation, like pr- learn to pray to God, you know, when when I think, you know, so if your pastor was like, why don't you disciple somebody? Uh, And you're like, what what does that mean? What what would happen if you say, hey, what if you just pulled this person and read the Bible, like shared what you know about your relationship with Jesus or like do quiet times with her, help her to start having quiet times. That seems more concrete and more doable, doesn't it? Than just go disciple make this person, you know? Yeah, no, and that resonates. You know, I think it's one of those things where, you know, it's it's encouraging when you can when you can help someone understand that disciple making is something that that we should all hopefully have someone invest in us, right? So so that someone is discipling Mm -hmm. me. But it is one of those things where it doesn't stop mm-hmm. with me that I my, I myself am discipled, but I also should disciple. I should be a disciple maker myself mm-hmm. and it, p- paying it forward and it should go on and on and on. And then the practices yes. that we hold mm-hmm. to that, like, what is it that looks like? So how, how am I making the world, you know, a little more like heaven than earth? And so how am I joining yeah. in God's yeah. mission of restorative justice and restorative, you know, beauty mm, and relationships so and, mm-hmm. and reconciliation and those sorts of things. Yeah. And, and then bringing, you know, Jesus is the aim in everything that we do for those reasons. So yeah. why, why do I want more beauty because of Jesus and, and the beauty of Jesus? Mm-hmm. Why do I want restorative relationships? Because Jesus is like the king of restorative relationships. Right. And, and so those yeah. sorts of things. And so mm-hmm. anytime we can push people in that way, I think is, is really, really strong. And again, it, it makes sure that we're the language that we're speaking is contextualized that everyone understands that. And I think that I think that's key. And so yes. and, I, and, and I, I think you do a great yeah. job in the book of making it very easy to understand. You know, you, you, I don't think you pull punches by any means, 
but it is it is kind of right 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 down the middle here here's here's a good way to move forward on this and so that's awesome yeah so alice one of the things i'm interested in is what you said in finding this research which i think it's fascinating in the book you said you've based it a lot on barna's research and with the navigators research you just said it you said there's only so many people who have discipled somebody and so only so many people who have been discipled yeah in the research and some of the stuff you you saw was it was it discipleship is this weird, interesting, hard thing to do for most people because they've not been discipled themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, does that make sense? Like I, yeah. my big thing is I was a youth minister for a long time. And so uh, mentorship, mm-hmm. you know, young, young people are screaming for mentorship without yes. ever saying it. Yeah. And I think the same is true with discipleship. They don't know how to say it because they don't know it, it's not out there. We're, yeah. we're a mentorless generation. So mm-hmm. could you speak to that a little bit? Well, you know, what is so interesting is that interest in disciple making, they break it down by generations and the older the generation the least interested, the less interested they are in actually making disciples. So boomers, for some reason, that generation is the least interested in making disciples, which would make sense because when you think about mentorship and disciple making, it usually it's somebody older coming alongside somebody younger to mentor or to disciple them. But if the older generation, they're not interested, then they're probably doing it less, which means that less people are experiencing it down the line, which is why I really do believe we see this drop off where only 20 20% have been discipled. Like you can't repeat what you haven't, I mean, you can, I mean, well, no, you can't repeat what you haven't experienced, but um, I feel like it's very rare that somebody would just start to make disciples after having not experienced it for themselves, which is why it's important to equip everyday people to start to feel like I can do this. I have some picture of what it looks like so that we can bump up the number of people who, who are being discipled. I think we yeah. just don't know where to start because we don't know what it looks like. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. Yeah, I, I love the research in the book. And uh, as someone who's more of a visual learner, thank you for all the graphs. Uh, there, there's, <laughs> there's so many graphs. Like, I think before I even started reading the book, I was like, I'm just going to look at no all problem. the pictures. And so it's, it's really pretty. <laughs> um, and so, uh, yeah, so there's, there's some great research in the book. And uh, and I thought, I thought you did a masterful job of kind of pulling in and really making it really uh, relevant. Uh, there's nothing worse than when Barner releases new research and you have to go like dig it out yourself. And it's like, I'm like two minutes into it. It's like, I don't understand any of this. So, so th- thank you for translating. Um, but yeah, I'm no curious, problem, no problem. you know, as you kind of got into the research, what was, was there anything that stuck out that was surprising? And um, was there one piece of research that you were just really kind of shocked by? Yeah, I think one thing um, that I found, one of the questions that was asked was like, do you believe that it is the responsibility of Christians, your responsibility as a Christian to make disciples? And like 60 or 70 percent of people said no, Hmm. that it is not their responsibility. However, when asked, do you believe that it is your responsibility to pass on what you know to somebody else, what you've learned about spirituality to somebody else, people say, yeah, yeah, I do feel like more people say, yeah, I do feel like that is my responsibility, which really points out a lack of familiarity with the idea of disciple making and discipling in the American church. And in, in yeah. that's my conclusion, at least, is there, there's something like we're not hearing it as much. We're not understanding what it means. We're not understanding all that it entails. We've kind of 
pushed it off as like, this is the job of pastors or people in full-time ministry. It's not the job of everyday people. And so I, I just feel like there's something that needs to happen from the pulpit, using the word more, unpacking the word more, making it more familiar with just so that people get this idea that the concepts of disciple making it's yeah. for the everyday person it's for wherever you live wherever you work wherever you play it's not just the job of people in full-time ministry brenna and alan i'd love to hear you guys jump in on this as well because you know one of the things that we hear often is that there is it, it's it, it's the pastor's job right and it is the pastor's role to disciple mm-hmm. um when we but if you are yeah. just a a cursory reading of scripture it's pretty evident in, in pretty clear language that we are all called we're all commissioned mm-hmm. matthew 28 john 20 it's very clear that we are the mm-hmm. sent ones of jesus which i know listeners are like yeah dude yes. this is a missional podcast we get that but it, it, it but it is it is it is something <laughs> we have to remind ourselves over and over again but also not only remind ourselves but we also need to have grace because there are people who are just completely blind to this and and it reminds me of, of uh, mm-hmm. like when Columbus was sailing uh, into uh, the Caribbean and, you know, natives at the time, they mm-hmm. they had unintentional blindness. They literally could not see what was coming because mm-hmm. they, 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 they had no context yeah. for it. And this idea of going mm-hmm. and making disciples, disciple making, that you are called, you are responsible for discipling others, um, I think for some people, even if like just good hearted people, they're just completely blind to the idea. Yeah. They do not have a context for that. And so and, and I think there are probably a ton right. of things that, that speak to that. I think using the platform as our primary way of inspiring people mm-hmm. is probably a big deal. And so how do we how do we build relationships? And so, Alan, Brenna, I mean, what are your guys thoughts on on some of that? You know, what I was thinking about when you were saying that people didn't feel that it was their job to disciple, but it was their job to share what they know. And I was thinking of how maybe we have limited discipleship down to just understanding knowledge. And while that is a piece of discipleship, that 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 is evidence of how our discipleship in the West is malformed currently mm-hmm. because it is people are saying, um, yeah, it's my responsibility to to share information, yeah. um, but it's not my responsibility to walk alongside and journey with somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, I'm I'm curious. I don't want to get ahead, um, but I'm curious as to what you would say needs to be added because discipleship isn't just a download of information. Um, you know, I can <laughs> I can download information on my children uh, on on what I think they should be doing, uh, and we yeah. all know that goes very well. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there's a there's a a walking alongside and a and a life on life that yes. it, that needs to be there. And, and, and so I don't want to ju- jump too ahead, but I'm really looking forward to what you would say would be a part of a full discipleship. What things are we missing? Mm-hmm. Um, because of right now, you know, discipleship is, is we got to make disciples and that's the, that's kind of a, a buzzword almost mm-hmm. in the church right now, which is fantastic. This is a corrective, but often we try to find the quickest thing to solve it instead of looking at like, what are all yeah. of the areas that we need to attend yeah. to in discipleship? 
Yeah. And just a quick note on just what you said, the quickest way to solve it. I wonder if this is why we've departed from disciple making as God's primary vehicle, you know, for advancing his kingdom to the ends of the earth is, is because our culture, our Western culture and, and context, we're, we're more like efficiency and productivity minded. And how do we, how can we mass produce these disciples? How can we make it more efficient? But the thing is, I just, I don't think that making disciples do helping somebody become more like Jesus. I don't think that there's an efficient way to go about it. It does take, it, it's, it is a longer, slower process. It's not just downloading information. It's not just a program that somebody goes through, but it really, it takes time. And, and I think in our, the pace of our world, it doesn't match up with the the pace that it requires to make disciples. And, and like, just knowing that I feel like is half the battle of like, oh, this is, it feels slow because it is mm-hmm. slow, but that doesn't mean that it's not worth investing in. Yeah. yeah. You know, one of the things that you hit on in the book that I, I think is, is really key and, and even a little bit encouraging to me as someone that even though I look and see at, at how few people are making disciples, it, you do speak to the idea that, Really, there are a couple of uh, aspects. One, there's a lack of confidence in disciple making. People really just feel like they don't have the con. They don't, mm-hmm. and and there is a part of it which is that's a little bit of my frustration is like I don't have the right words or I don't have the right you know do I need to go to seminary first mm-hmm. or something like that which is like Ugh, are we still having that conversation? No, you don't have to be an expert in this, uh, but. Yeah there is still a lot of room for having a lack of confidence in, in some of this. And so I get that. But then the other part was, uh, which I think is often under underestimated, which I think you do a great job of highlighting, is there are so many people that ha- they just simply don't have a framework for what discipling even looks like, mm-hmm. you know? So for them, just they've they, we often yeah. reduce, mm-hmm. I think the reason why we often reduce disciple making to a Sunday school class or a Bible study or maybe even a one-on-one let's read this book and talk about it is because that's really what people have experienced because there are so few people who are engaging in relationships where it is like, I'm going to live my life. Mm -hmm. I'm going to show you how I live my life as a husband, as a father, as a neighbor, as a worker, Mm -hmm. as a friend as a volunteer, as a Christian, and show you this is what it looks like. This is how I do these things and how Jesus is informing me on how I do all of these things. And, and I think that is a more robust way of discipling someone. It is it is really the idea of apprenticeship and, and mentorship. And I don't know mm-hmm. if it's because, you know, pop culture has such horrible examples of uh, mentorship. I mean, Obi-Wan Kenobi basically chops off Luke Skywalker's legs and, you know, it's like, you know, it's like, oh, I'm your mentor. And, you know, so you have like all of these kind of mentor betrays the master. That's such a common kind of theme in pop culture. And I don't know if people are just uh-huh. gun shy to the idea or maybe it's just pure laziness. I mean, I don't know. As you kind of looked at the research mm-hmm. and even kind of putting your mind around this idea of apprenticeship and the importance of that's what real discipleship looks like. Why aren't many why aren't more people engaging in these sorts of relationships? What is it? What is it in that boomer relationship that's like, I'm not going to I'm not going to pass it on to the next generation. I'm not going to take the time to take someone who's a little bit younger, who's maybe a stage or two behind me and show them like where I've been and what I've done and how Jesus has done that for me. I mean, I think something that has come up is just 
people think, I don't have time to add a whole nother thing to my life. I don't have the time. My life is already full between the kids and work and soccer practice and carpool, you know, whatever, church activities. How, how do I even have time to add something else to my life? And, And so this is where I love the idea, just how you're talking about living missionally. You know, it's, it's our whole life. We are, we weren't meant to compartmentalize. This is my spiritual part of my life, which is Sundays at church and then community groups on Wednesday nights, but it's meant to be a whole part of our lives. Just among my children, they're, they're from, well, Clementine, she doesn't really have friends yet. She's only eight months, you know, but, but like among my son's parents, friends, you know, who am I like, who am I around? Who, how can I engage intentionally and share Jesus? And what I know about Jesus and walking with him intentionally with those who are already in my circles, just in like in our neighborhood for the, some reason in the past week, God has led us to lots of opportunities to engage with our neighbors, you know? And so I don't want to live like, okay, well, there's the Christian part of my life and then there's the non, the, the rest of the part of my life and the neighbors fall into the, the not Christian part of my life. I, I want to be thinking intentionally all the time. How can I move these relationships towards conversations about Jesus? We recently were able to go to a, a community event with some neighbors with kids about my son's age and and it it was just fun to get to know them and we're praying for opportunities to continue to to bring the conversation initiate the conversation towards jesus so yeah and and i I love in the book that you really do land uh heavy on basing everything that we do in disciple making in jesus that jesus really is the Mm -hmm. the the front runner the forerunner in disciple making and how we ought to really kind of get our cues um, and, and forge. We often will use the language re Jesus, right? We always read Jesus. Mm-hmm. Or so we always go back to Jesus as our inspiration. Yeah. And and I think sometimes um, maybe cultural intelligence as well as emotional intelligence makes it hard for people mm-hmm. because they'll, they'll look at that. And then sometimes they don't know how to like culturally contextualize it. And, and so mm-hmm. then there's this big idea of making it weird. Like, how, you know, yeah. you know, it's like, <laughs> Uh, you know, it's yeah. like, oh, I have a whole section yeah, about it. Yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. so it's like this idea of like Jesus, you know, Jesus washed feet. So maybe I should like go to my neighbor and see if I can wash their feet. And like, <laughs> no, man, don't do that. <laughs> That's not good disciple yeah, right. making. Can you speak to the <laughs> idea of it's it's this fear. It's this barrier that people feel it's like mm-hmm. if I if I do this, I'm just going to make it really weird. So I'm just not going to. Yeah. Yeah, right. Um, you know, I think most of the time it's weirder for us than it is for the other 100%. person. Like, I feel like 90%, okay, 100%, yeah, yeah, yeah. sure, 100% of the time. <laughs> it's, it's weirder for me. That, like, I am I am more afraid of making it weird than than yeah. they actually think that it's weird. And, and I think that keeps us, because of the fear of making it weird rather than actually making it weird, that, that keeps people from even initiating, even starting something. They just hold completely hold back. And the thing is, it's going to be weird. It might be weird for a little bit. You know, it was weird when my husband and I first were dating and got to know each other. It's a little weird when I make new friends and I'm getting to know them. It's a little bit weird in the beginning. And so that's why I think keeping it uh, like if you're going to initiate some something with somebody, um, keeping it time limited, you know, I think that kind of bumps up 
the, okay, I'll give this a try, you yeah. know, like, Hey, what would you want to meet for the next month? Like maybe once a week for the next month while our kids play or um, during lunch in the lunch break or during the, the break room during lunch, uh, would you want to just meet once a week and we could read the Bible and we'll just do it for a month and we'll see how it goes. And then at the end of the month, usually at that point, it's way less weird because you've already gotten into a rhythm. It just, but, but the fear, you know, if there's the fear of making it weird, um, at least, you know, there's the end, yeah. right? At least both sides know that there is an end. And at the end of it, you can just say, okay, God bless. And we'll move on our way. This, like, you know, this is fun. Or most of the time people continue. They want to continue because it becomes less weird over time. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. It's just jumping in. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, I love that. And I live in Austin, so we we keep things weird here anyway. So that's just probably a prerequisite <laughs> disciple making. I thought that was Portland. Oh man, that's a, that's a soapbox. Mm. It was. It started in Austin. <laughs> Brenda, don't you even dare. We have written proof. Well, I'm I'm Portland adjacent. Portland adjacent. So, you know, I'm an hour south, yes. but so I'm, yes. you know. Portland stole our, now everyone, it's like you go to Asheville, North Carolina, <laughs> keep Asheville weird. It's like, no one thinks Asheville's weird. No. Stop fronting. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. So this idea, I love the, the, the idea uh, that you use about really as we, as we become disciple makers, if we're going to do this, if we're willing to say, I'll make it a little bit weird, it's okay. We'll get over it. I get over the, the all the other barriers and obstacles that come to me. You, you speak in the book about the importance of really kind of anchoring disciple making in your own why. Uh, and I love how, mm-hmm. you know, people and a lot of people who listen to our podcast are Simon Sinek fans. We talk about Simon Sinek quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And that's his yeah. big deal. Right. Start with your why. Start with. Yes. Your why. What's yeah. your why? Yep. And so you talk mm-hmm. about this importance of anchoring disciple making in your why. Can you speak a little bit to that and how anyone who's listening like how how can that be a game changer in our own pursuit of being a disciple maker? Yeah, well, you know, I I start um, I think I start that section talking about you know like we all know what we need to do to live a healthy life. Yesterday I had a very carb heavy day. It was a lot of potatoes and breads and stuff. You know I know, but I know in my head what it looks like to lead a healthy yeah. life. You know, eat more vegetables, more fruits, exercise more, move around, move. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Um, but, but that's not enough. That knowledge, you know, the, like Brenna, you said, the knowledge alone, it's not enough to actually motivate me to do it. It wasn't until I was diagnosed with gestational diabetes with my son that I realized, oh, the way that I am leading Mm. my life, that is very, that's very harmful to an unborn baby. It's harmful. Um, like it could result in him. I don't know. It could it could impact him. And so that was actually became a very important why that kept in front of me. It kept me making the right decisions when it came to nutrition and exercise when I didn't feel like it, because most of the time I, I, it's like you got to overcome the like static inertia. What I'm, I'm a, I'm a nerd. Oh my gosh. I'm going to like the coefficient of static <laughs> friction. You know, you need to overcome that, you know, in order to get yeah. movement. Um, and, and so having the why in front of you continually, why am I making it weird? Why am I um, going to, initiate towards this person and not just talk about the weather with them every day. Like we have, but why am I going to give up a lunch, you know, to, to sit and read the Bible with this person? We we need to know our why we need to have it in front of us continually to, to keep the momentum going, to 
keep reminding us of the calling, yeah. the calling, you know, at the end of our lives, our work is going to fade. Uh, everything we do is going to fade. Our accomplishments are going to fade. What's going to remain is the word of God and the souls of man and women, yeah, souls go. of people, really, <laughs> you know, <laughs> be generous. Yeah. So Alice, you know, I've been hearing these and taking notes on some of these things that you've been saying that, um, are just fantastic. Like recognizing that the pace needs to be slow and just having that understanding, um, so that we don't automatically feel like we're failures, uh, mm-hmm. in disciple making and, and being based in Jesus and, uh, letting things be weird and being okay with that. Cause that's going to continue to improve as the, the relationship grows. And I think those are so valuable but as we're getting into discipling, as we're moving, like we're, we've made it weird and we're hanging out with somebody and we recognize the pace is going to be slow. And we've made, we've, we've taken like, I'm going to, I have this why, and I'm going to take these lunches. Now I'm into that disciple making. What things do you think need to be present for it to be some fully formed discipling? Um, like, is there something that if you removed it mm-hmm. would lack uh, full formation. Oof. You mean like with individual times with people or uh, are you talking about as a whole? As like as a whole, what elements need to be present that you found in looking at the research or your experience uh, for discipleship to actually be taking place? Yeah. Um, so the navigators, we, we have this, uh, this, uh, framework, I guess, called the five traits of a disciple maker. It's kind of like five yeah. <laughs> traits <laughs> of a disciple, you know, five <laughs> things that characterize people who, who are disciple making. And so the first one is Jesus. They know Jesus, love Jesus, want to want to become like him. The second one is the word. They love the word. Um, and then it's community. They're in community. They're living and discipling among, or they're in the lost. They're among the lost. Um, they're not just in their Christian bubble all the time. And then the last one is generations. And, and one of the, so the, the research kind of asked questions, diving deeper into each of those different traits. And what was interesting was that like 70% of people said, Oh, I love Jesus. I have a passion about him. I want to know, you know, I, I really enjoy my time with him. But when it came to the word time in the word uh, people, I think like very few people were in the word on their own, like in the last two weeks or something, you know, like in a two weeks, like they, they haven't been in the word on their own. And so I think that being in the word, knowing the word of God, uh, being in the word, helping people, uh, get regular times with Jesus in the word. I think that is so, so important. I, I interview everyday people since I'm not an everyday disciple maker, you know, so it's like, I'm writing a book on everyday, how everyday people can make disciples, but I'm in full-time ministry. It kind of disconnects. So I interview everyday disciple makers. And and one thing that uh, somebody said that has stuck out with me this whole time has been um, helping them hear the voice of God, helping them hear from God through the word, through prayer. So I just think there has to be the word involved. I think that there has to be prayer involved, having this conversational loop, you know, God speaks to us through the word. And then we talk to him back about what he has said, not about something completely different. Uh, we're having conversations with God just about what he has said or about what's going on in our lives. And, and then I think equipping them to be able to 
have these conversations, you know, to talk about their faith with other people. Like we, we have to equip people to be able to have these conversations uh, in, in disciple making in order to keep the generations going, in order to help them to think missionally, you know, and, and giving them uh, this missional mindset. Like God has you where you are yeah. for such a time as this. You know, some of these people, like they might never set foot in, in the, the doors of a church. Like I think about uh, one of my friends who, who is in, in one of our ministries. Uh, she and her husband, they were in a Dungeons and Dragons gaming community. And I just got so excited nerding out thinking about like those people. They might never set foot in a church, but they are regularly gaming and with people who love Jesus. Imagine what God could do if they were intentional about sharing their faith there or moving towards other people and disciple and, and discipling them in that community. Like what could God do in the Dungeons and Dragons community in Northern California? And then oh, preach, California. Alice, you're speaking our language. You're <laughs> speaking our language. But it all just starts being faithful where you are, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think that's that's huge. It's funny when I was a college pastor back in the day, uh, I did some of my best discipling in a D and D group, and so uh, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I what? Yeah. Uh, I love it. Yeah, it's fun. That's right. Throw it on the dice. Um, you know? No, that's awesome. Uh, so, uh, Alice, I'm curious. You know, there you, we're a missional podcast, and uh, I love the the five uh, traits. Can you can you just review those mm-hmm. for us again? So it was uh, Jesus, the Word, and then community, which community. I think we, we, most of our listeners would would look at that and say, "Yep, that's it. That's 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 kind of the the, the basic." And I think probably most people in churches, for the most part, would kind of lean heavy. Yep. But I love yes. the back half of uh, the traits you guys have with mm-hmm. with navigators, and it's this idea of uh, the not yet followers of Jesus. Uh, so people who are mm-hmm. not uh, they 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 don't they don't see Jesus as Lord yet, and so how do we you know, yeah. engaging them and and it and I think it's important that we say it's not just um, uh, oh what's I can't think of the word it's not just like token you know engagement it's like oh yeah I waved at my neighbor who doesn't yeah. know Jesus and okay check mark uh-huh. but it's like no no yeah. no are you uh-huh. are you joining a D and D group are you joining you know, a rec mm-hmm. league or something that's not the church softball team, but it's like, how are you engaging people who are not yet followers yeah. of Jesus? I think that's huge. It's huge for disciple making. Yes. And then yes. this last, this last idea of generations, this idea of multiplication, that is there's legacy and, and paying it forward and things like that. So mm-hmm. I love the emphasis there. You have an audience with people who are movement leaders who are their their primary pulse? If they listen to this podcast, most likely they're they're leaders who are trying to mobilize others. They're looking to cultivate missional practitioners mm-hmm. in their own environments, own context. You have this audience. Yeah. What would you say to encourage them around those two things, which will be very affirming? Mm-hmm. But I'll just be honest: those mm-hmm. first three, Jesus. Scripture yeah. and community, we sometimes because we want to put an emphasis on the, the those who are not yet followers of Jesus and those that multiplication aspect, yeah. we will almost sometimes. Well, yeah, the Bible's important, but like, what would you? What would? What would be? What? How uh-huh. would you encourage them in in processing? Really having a holistic approach to all five of those. Gosh, oh my goodness, this is such a great question. I mean, usually when I first start discipling somebody. I, I really 
from, from the beginning, no matter where they are, if they're like new Christians or um, what you, I mean, usually it's just, it's Christians who, who I think this, I, I think like, how can I have them? How can I challenge them to start sharing this with somebody else in their lives? But then I also really cast vision. I think it's really vision casting. Like the things that I'm doing with you, helping you have a relationship with Jesus, like that's your calling too. Like you, you, you too, you can do this. You're called to do this. Uh, not only can you do it, but, but you're called by Jesus to do this. So they know from the very beginning, like, it's not just like, and, and, and I want to be cautious not to communicate like, I'm doing sure. this so that you can do that, you know, so that you can go on and do that. Like, that's not, that's not the heart, but really it's, it's a vision of the things that I'm passing on to you, you can pass on to other people right around you. And so often I have, I do challenge people. I, I do give a little like, okay, so who's somebody that you can share this with in your life? And, and so there's this girl who I'm discipling right now, who's in a sorority. And so, you know, one week I forgot shared like assurance of, we talked about assurance of salvation and I'm like, okay, who's somebody, who are some people in your sorority that you can share with this? And so she came back next day. I thought like, I don't know. I don't know if she's going to, I mean, not because of her or anything, but just because I think if I were her, I'd be like scared, but she did it. And, and so, you know, she, she's like starting to really grow in her walk with Jesus. And, and so she, she's doing it. Yeah, this yeah. idea of what I pass on to you, go and share with other people. I think that needs to be there from the beginning, not when they're spiritual enough, you know, or when, when they're solid enough in their faith yeah. it, it, from, the, from the get-go. And also from the get-go, you know, I, I do say like, if, I don't yeah, know yeah. how this is going to come across. This might be okay with this audience. Uh, but like if at the end of our time together, um, you graduate and uh, we're, my husband and I were in college ministry. And uh, if you graduate and you spend the rest of your life uh, going to church and and that's yeah. it. Like, I think that we would have yeah. failed you guys. Um, I think we would have we would have failed you, you know, uh, if, and yeah. I'm not bagging on the church or anything. Church is good. It's a great part of the Christian life. But if you're not yeah. discipling, if you're not investing in others, if you're not in lost space, yeah. spaces with people who don't know Jesus yet, like if, if you're not intentionally, if your extracurriculars right. are all surrounding the church, then, then I think we would have failed to give you vision for what that's God good. could do through your life. Yeah, that's good. You know, in Forge, we, there, there are a, a couple questions that we ask that I think it's really helpful. And sometimes even, even listening to you speak, it, it felt like, oh man, we're not always clear in how we ask those questions. And so the two questions that we ask are, to whom have you been sent? Uh, that we believe that Jesus sends every, 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 every follower. Uh, so to whom have we been sent? And then the second question is, to whom have you been sent with? So, so who are the people that you're sent with? And we, we add that second question so people don't say, oh, God sent me to the church. You know, it's like, God, God did not send you to the church. He's trying to send you into the world. But if you need the church as an answer, that's the second question. But, but even, in, even in our own language, is, is just really breaking down that sentence question that to whom have I been sent? Why have I been sent? And it really, at the end of the day, is to reveal the rule and reign of God. And, and make disciples. I mean, that's it. I think it's the disciple-making process is revealing God's reign and rule in someone's life, that they can see the beauty of who God is. And so I just want to thank you. I mean, just even your conversation has been super helpful for me as someone who's entrenched in this conversation. Just hearing you speak brings light to 
what it is that I'm trying to do and what we're trying to do as an organization and as a movement. Mm-hmm. And and it, again, the the importance of the scriptures, importance. I mean, and we know Jesus is, is one of our key things and we're always coming back to Jesus. But like, let's not neglect the word. Let's not neglect community. And so thank you for that. I, I do want to say one thing as we close, because this was this was a huge deal for me. You you have a framework in your book that I thought was just so good. And I'm totally going to steal it. It's going to be my new thing. But as, as, okay. as and I'm a big kid, I'm a fat yeah. kid. I always prided myself on anytime I'm discipling someone, anytime I'm working with someone, I'm always looking for the person, right? So part someone who's faithful, available, and teachable. Mm-hmm. But you have a different framework. You take that and you actually build on it. Yeah. And yours is better. Yours is better than it's better than the fat framework. Can you? It's better than fat. Can you break that down for us? Because I, th- I think it's so good. Okay. Thank. Thank you. Yes. Well, it's it's like yeah. an expanded fat. You know, it's faith. Uh, so there's faithful, available. Yeah. Uh, so faithful. You know, there are. Do they follow through? Do they commit? Um, are they available? Yeah. You know, they could be so so faithful. But if they're not free, then it's kind of like pointless. Uh, and this is an identifying the characteristics and identifying somebody who might be good to disciple. Uh, intentional. Do they move towards you? Do you move? You know, like are they moving intentionally towards people? in their lives. Uh, yeah. Just, are they intentional? Uh, are they teachable, you know, or are they, I mean, it's okay to challenge, I feel like, but if it's every, every single time it's like, well, how do you know this? Or, you know, they just like, no, I, I have all the answers. I don't need the answers. Um, and then the last one is a heart for God. I really believe that you can see even among those who don't know Jesus yet, like whether or not they have a heart for God, you can sense that they're looking for someone that they're looking for something. Yeah. That, that, that's kind of, the the acronyms that that expanded fat uh, that I've been that's been helpful for me. As I was reading through it, I was just sitting there. I was like, oh, my gosh, like I'm I'm like a recovering Baptist. And so we love like a good like anytime you can spell a word with something is just magic. Yeah. And so I'm always like on the lookout for that. And I love fat. <laughs> I love I love the faithful, available, teachable. It's it's one of those things where anytime I'm looking to, to again, engage it's so helpful, but man, that intentional, that is, I mean, oh my gosh, that's so, so it is a huge game changer. It's so important that are we looking for people? Of course they're faithful. Of course they're, they're going to be there. They're available. They've got time for you. Yes. They're teachable. They're willing to learn. They're hungry for it. But that intentionality is so, so, so key. And then having a heart for God and having a heart for people is, I mean, those two aspects of adding that as you're looking for so, so someone listening is like, who do I disciple? Like, who am I actually discipling? Like, can you, can you make a matrix on a piece of paper and write faith across the top? And who are the people who are faithful, available, intentional towards you, teachable, and then they just have a heart for God. They have a heart for people. They have a heart for the world. You know, they have a heart for, because God is at work. He's doing something amazing here. And people, it's in in Austin, it just seems like everyone fits that last one. There's so many people who are open to spirituality. They're open to making the world a better place. They're open to mankind and love and, and generosity. It's such a great indicator that if we can see that, lean into that, speak to it, it could be a, it could be a real big game changer. So, yeah, absolutely. And I just really believe, you know, when you said that, like, yeah, we're all called to make disciples, and, and, and you know, that's that's like the end goal. You know, that we're to make disciples. I mean, I, I think to expand it even further, the end goal. It's like, 
not only that people would know Jesus, but their lives That's would right. be transformed, that their lives would be healed right. by him, that they would experience. I mean, the world is yes. broken. People are broken. Relationships are broken. But if when somebody comes to know Jesus and love him, it transforms their lives. And then that transforms the relationships in their lives and brings healing to those relationships. And then that transforms their entire communities. And I think that's how we move towards saving the world through disciple making. It's like, it starts with one person, but the potential ripple effect as people live out their transformed lives next door to everywhere, wherever God has them. Like it is, I mean, it's endless possibility for what God and the Holy Spirit can do through change life. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you, Alice. Oh my gosh. You're amazing. I'm so glad that you joined us. Uh, I have a new friend and uh, I'm so excited. Yeah. I'm so excited for this book to get out into the world and people to read it. And, and I, I can't wait to hear and learn more from you. And so uh, we'll definitely have to have you back. So congratulations on the book. Thank you so much. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Forge America Missional Podcast. Forge America cultivates practitioners who join in the mission of God. If you'd like to know more about us, feel free to check us out at forgeamerica.com. <laughs>